0: Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I am Clarissa Christensen, your host, and today we're going to be talking around mindset, weight loss, and midlife. And I'm delighted to be joined by Australian-based physician, Dr. Lucy Burns, and she specializes general practice but also lifestyle medicine and really how we lose weight starting with our mindset. Welcome, Lucy, to the show.
1: Oh, Clarissa, thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you too because, you know, weight loss gets talked a lot about in this time of life. Oh, my God, it's like on the tip of everybody's tongues. It's on every Instagram feed. And yet women don't always execute any of what they hear. And so, of course, we've got a diet culture where you go around and around and around and says doesn't work. But yep. Lizzie, you have your own journey on this, so I'd love to start there to share your journey of of your own health and weight loss and how you came to be doing the work you are doing now.
1: Absolutely. So i I like to call myself an expert dieter. I was a very good dieter. I would... I could easily lose weight. I was very diligent. I would follow whatever plan I was given and I would be perfect and I'd lose the weight. And then I'd stop and I'd put it all back on again. And then I'd go on some other plan and I'd do it perfectly and rigidly and then I would and I'd be you know, doing aerobics 10 times a week. It was always, there was this transaction. It was always like the idea I will, I will commit to this incredibly hard thing so that I can lose the weight and then I will be in some nirvana and I will be able to just go back to doing whatever it was that I was doing. And so, you know, I'm a lifetime Weight Watchers member. I've done all the things that probably most of us have tried with light and easy, very, you know, meal plans, shakes, gym memberships, all the things, um, and always up and down. And I had this love-hate relationship with chocolate and sugar. And so when I was sort of on a diet, being perfect, I was obviously not eating any of that. I had iron will, but I was always hankering after it and always wishing that there was some magical way that I could still eat chocolate and somehow not get fat. And so interestingly, it was also entirely about the the weight, nothing to do with the nutrition or or the health that, you know, in my 20s, I didn't care about that. I just wanted to be skinny. And I think, and, and clearly, you know, we all know that that's all just part of conditioning that, you know, your worth as a woman is all based on what you look like. Um, and, you know, I wanted to be one of those thin girls. But um, I guess over, over the years, a couple of things happened to me. One, one is that I do have an underlying, um, muscle condition called muscular dystrophy, which causes muscles to waste. So therefore my, uh, ability to utilize, you know, 10 aerobic sessions a day was removed. So I could no longer really exercise as a tool to manage my weight. And, I was then relying more and more on my good old friend, the packet of Maltesers, to cheer me up to deal, I guess, with this change in the way my body was going. And then, um, you know, in my 40s, I just got to the point where I was heavier than when I was, you know, 41 weeks pregnant and perimenopausal, and I just thought, ah, look, it doesn't really matter. I'd sort of almost given up. I decided, you know, my husband still loves me. I don't care. I'll just do elastic waisted pants for the rest of my life. It'll be fine. And then oh, then one day I just then, you know, again, this sort of oscillating. I'm looking, there's no clothes in the cupboard that will fit me. And then, I don't know, the line in the sand was I grew out of my undies. <laughs> I just thought oh, I cannot man. buy <laughs> the next size undies. I just thought, you know what, That's just that's just a bridge too far. I'm going to have to do something. Because I, I guess it occurred to me mm-hmm. that there's no upper limit on your weight, like your the number on the scales. If I keep eating the way I keep eating, it I'm not going to get to a point and it's just going to stop. It's just going to get heavier and heavier. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of my light bulb moment of, okay, I can't just not do anything. So then um, I was one day on holidays with a friend of mine another doctor and she she was looking really great healthy and strong and I'm going what you know what are you doing <laughs> you know in my head I'm thinking I want what she's got um and she said oh I've just you know she was a bit coy and she said oh, I've just cut my carbs down a bit and I'm thinking oh yeah and she started telling me about what she's doing and I just said oh what a load of bunkum I'm not doing that you know and as I'm sitting on the beach eating carrot sticks and um then <laughs> I watched what she was actually eating I thought this looks good, and over a few days, I just decided to do what she was doing. And then, of course, you know, my research brain went in, and I thought, I'm just actually going to investigate all of this. And so then I did, and yeah, so for me, that it has been life changing. Um, and for the first time, well, not the first time, I've now lost that 20 kilos or 45 pounds or whatever it is in universal language, and um, yeah. and it's been off now for five years.
0: Wow, and that, and that's the mm. big thing, isn't it? It's not that you lost it, it's that it's no. stayed off because that's the normal journey, isn't it, for most women. We lose the weight and then suddenly it's crept back up again and we're like, well, that was all for nothing, and then they go back mm. on the diet and back on the diet. And it's it's not just that it's the yo-yo weight, it's the mental impact of it as well.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and um, and look, honestly, it's actually not good for our bodies to be yo-yoing, to be losing weight, to be up and down all the time. To have chronic calorie deprivation is terrible for our metabolic health and our metabolism. So I didn't realise that what I was doing in my 20s was actually harmful for me in my 40s. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think we don't, and of course, We've got all these hormonal changes as well. So, is that making our weight loss different or or more difficult?
1: Yeah. So, I guess um, my you know my approach these days. So, so of course, like you know, a lot of doctors do. You you want to then go and find the everything out about what you're doing, and you know, and I became quite zealoty as some people do in in wanting to help people because it had been so revolutionary for me but I'm so lucky because I've got a I've got a job doing this so I can now talk about it morning noon and night and you know get paid for it so yay (laughs) don't have to my family you know their eyes glaze over but I've got other people who are eager and listening and very excited so yeah um so you know the way I look at things now is that there is both a what I call a physiological and a psychological approach to permanent weight loss. Um, and for lots of us, the physiology is about those hormones that that you were talking about. and you know and, and again, I hadn't heard a lot about this, in fact nothing in um, in my early dieting career, but you know insulin and insulin resistance. Um, is a huge driver for fat storage and it really makes such a big difference to the way our body stores fat and it's not about the number of your calories that makes a difference. It's really about the quantity or, the, sorry, the quality of those calories and what okay. those are actually doing. So, again, I'm sure a lot of people will relate, but, you know, I'd get I'd, I'd be looking at my calories and I'm thinking, right, how many... Squares of chocolate? Can I have within that calorie? And you know, I'd, I'd forego proper food so that I could scoff in a few more Tim Tams. Oh, yeah. And yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if those people don't know what a Tim Tam is, it's the best Australian biscuit. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> a totally
1: iconic. It's the it's the Oreo. It's not like an Oreo, but it's the Oreo equivalent for Americans. That's their iconic biscuit. Yeah. Tim Tams are ours. Oh, yeah. I don't know what yes. they have in England. What are their What are your iconic? What are the English people's iconic biscuits?
0: I think they eat things like um chocolate hobnobs. It's a similar thing. Oh, okay. It's chocolate, it's sweet. Yeah, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. You're sort of them working out, aren't you, Lucy? If I cut a bit of food out of the main meal, I can fit a few Tim Tams or whatever in around the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in my case sometimes 10 Tim Tams and no meals. Because, you know, that was still in the, that was in the calories and that, apparently that was all that mattered. So I didn't care. I just thought, oh, fine. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so now, of course, I know quite a lot more, uh, which is great. And um, and I, I am particularly passionate about metabolic health. Um, so, and I think the interesting thing that we're in at the moment is weaving our way through the extremes on one hand, where we've got um, diet culture which is all about you know your worth as a woman is completely about what you look like and I absolutely abhor that i think that is just despicable but on the other side we've actually got people whose health is really impacted by their their weight and their food and so navigating that path is is i think what what myself and my colleague dr mary have been able to do um to really help i guess bring change to people without the diet culture
0: yeah because that's the that's the trick isn't it to say to people you can lose and be a healthier weight Mm. without having to go through this you know people saying, oh i only eat 800 calories a day that's barely keeping your brain functioning is it
1: ah oh, it's not enough mm. it is not enough oh. and it's you know and I think that's again that's that's 1200 calories is not actually enough either and that uh, that seems like a, a quite a big diet to me I remember thinking oh 1200 that's heaps but it's it's not enough um so the quality the quantity the quantity and the quality now I'm getting my cues mixed up so the quality <laughs> of your calories is important. So calories are really, I mean, we don't have calorie receptors. Our body doesn't actually care that much about the calories. It's more interested in the nutrients. So it's looking at your macronutrients and then your micronutrients. And so if we focus then on getting our nutrients and choosing really nutrient dense food, then that real. I mean, they're, they're the receptors that we have, these hormone receptors in our body. And um, we love this saying, uh, which is that weight loss is its chemistry, not maths, and its hormones, not calories.
0: Oh, I like that. That that is yeah, feel so, free, so free. I will be quoting that. I'm sure, but that is that <laughs> yes. is so kind of like ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, definitely, yeah, yeah.
1: It's total gold, and I guess um, one of the things that I, I guess what I'd love to share with your listeners is the things that um, the, the way I the way I like to describe insulin's impact on the way we store our fat. So, again, going through medical school, we learned a lot about insulin, um, and we learned that it's really important in helping regulate our blood glucose. And, and that is completely true. And the way I look at it is that we know that when we eat carbohydrates, so carbohydrates are sugars and starches, that puts our insulin up. Uh, our pancreas makes insulin because it wants to move that glucose from the blood into the muscles and then into the liver. And the pancreas is a very good organ. It's such a good organ because it will make however much you need in order to do that. Yeah. Now, for some people... That's quite a lot of insulin and that, that depends on multiple things. It depends on your genetics. It depends on, you know, your current weight and it depends on something called insulin resistance, which all sounds great and it is, it's lovely. And if we didn't have the pancreas working this hard, we would all have type 2 diabetes really early. But the pancreas is working really hard and it will bring out buckets of insulin and the problem is that insulin has a side gig and that side gig is fat storage So you've then got this hormone floating around your body whose job is actually to store fat. So the way, if I try and explain it like a fireplace, if you imagine your body is like a fireplace and you've got two types of fuel, you've got your kindling, which is like your carbohydrates, they burn sharp and quick and they die down and you have to keep adding them if that's your only fuel. And then you've got your logs, which is your fat. And that should burn long and slow and keep you full and energised. Now, for lots of us, we've always been putting on buckets of kindling. And if you think about it, oh, yeah. even if you're eating what is supposedly healthy diet, it's going to be, you know, cereal and toast for breakfast. It's a sandwich and, um, you know, fruit for lunch. And then it'll be pasta or rice or potatoes and maybe some meat yeah. for dinner. Still a lot of carbohydrate in there. So yeah. if you there imagine that. There then- is, and
0: I, think, and I think what you, you don't realise is how much of that is quick-release carbohydrate. Mm.
1: Absolutely, Mm. absolutely. So basically you're piling heaps of kindling into your fireplace and then your body says, you know what, as my kindling's going down, I really should go and get a log. And it's looking next to the fireplace and there aren't any. And it goes, oh, there's this lovely woodshed full of stacked logs. So that's our fat stores. Some people have bigger woodsheds than others. And as you go out to your woodshed to try and get a log out, there. You try and open the door and you basically can't open it because the door is locked and the padlock is insulin. So for some people, they might just have one padlock, but some people have got four or five. And so basically they you cannot access your fat stores. And so your brain's, you know, you're thinking, you're looking at yourself, you're going, I've got all this fat to burn. Why can't I? Why am I always hungry? Because you cannot get it. So then you toddle back to your little fireplace, which by now has just got a few embers and you're really starting to get hungry and you really need some fuel, and your brain starts screaming at you and says, Listen, we're going to run out of fuel in a minute. And that's where you get that hangry or maybe, you know, tremulous, mm-hmm. and you just and you, and you get your cravings and you just start scoffing anything because your brain is is really struggling. And so that that just sets up this cycle then of, of sugar related obesity in, in many ways
0: yes so and we have another lovely saying yes oh. tell me tell me i'm excited. <laughs> sorry i was
1: just going to say our lovely saying is that we have what we say to people is what we want you to do is open your woodshed so when you open your woodshed you have access to your stored fuel. So that's, yes. Yeah, so sorry, and I interrupted you. You were going to say something, Clarissa. No, I was
0: going to say, and of course, the more you have the kindling, don't you get more in the woodshed then as well? So yeah. So in a sense, you can't get to the woodshed, but somehow it's still growing. It's like it's multiplying, but you don't have the chance to ever release it.
1: Absolutely, yes. Yes, wood can go in. So again, what happens with our fuel when we eat carbohydrates, we'll be using some of it straight away. Because you know we have to move and do things, some of it will get stored into the muscles. But if we don't eat it, if we don't use it all straight away, it gets put into the woodshed, never to be retrieved again.
0: Yeah, and so oh, that's just this image of seeing all this just piling. Because I have a wood a wood store here, <laughs> so I can see it kind of piling and piling. But all the kind yeah. and the kindling, and it burns fast, doesn't it? So no wonder we feel it and if we've also like a lot of the listeners here are midlife women so they feel moody and hormonal anyway because of other hormone changes no wonder that sort of them becoming that midlife women are hungry they're moody and they're not losing any of the weight it's it's a vicious cycle
1: yes absolutely and tired and so they they're literally they're running out of energy and then and they think that they're, they're just weak-willed and that they're just, you know, um, n- no discipline. And it, it's nothing to do with discipline. that It's physiology. You are literally running out of fuel, so you literally have to eat. It's not about greed. It's not about laziness. It is literal physiology. So we have to fix the physiology. And y- you're totally right. I mean, menopause does a couple of things with our hormones. So, you know, when people hear hormones, they always think of the female hormones, you know, estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. But the metabolic hormones are, are really important. But they also, mm-hmm. our, our body is, is basically one giant symphony of hormones. Everything, if if one thing is out of whack, other things are out of whack. Yes. So, and I I really... I guess this is another great example of how calories are really just that calorie in, calorie out model is so simple simple and wrong. And, you know, if we look at say, uh, let's say you've got a child, so you've got two, you know, a boy and a girl, they're the same height, they're they're straight up and down, they look the same, and then Mm -hmm. puberty comes along and they change shape. They haven't necessarily changed their food, but they have changed shape. The girls developing obviously breasts and hip, you know weight on her hips and her bottom. Yeah. She's not suddenly not eating more. She, I mean, she might she's eating the same. So and the boys com- and the boys developing muscle, and so the start of the estrogen causes this female fat storage, yeah. and then we see the same thing happening in pregnancy. Women store fat in pregnancy. They're not they're not yeah. suddenly becoming gluttonous sloths just lying around stuffing themselves. They're eating the same food but their body is storing fat for breastfeeding later on. Very clever. And then you think, oh, well, menopause, we lose all the estrogen so we all should just be going back to being thin. Wouldn't that be awesome? But it doesn't work (laughs) like that.
0: (laughs) No, it doesn't.
1: (laughs) No, it's really interesting because what happens is Women women's so men men store fat preferentially around their abdomen and women pre-menopausal will store it preferentially around their bottom and thighs. Once menopause comes along, yes. we actually move to the man storage of the fat, which is around the middle. Okay. And interestingly, we do actually lose some subcutaneous fat. So the fat around our our thighs and our bottom and our face, which is why sometimes people feel suddenly that they, they look older as soon as they've entered menopause and that is because you will lose some subcutaneous fat so that's just the name of the fancy fat under your skin and it's why your arms you know women's arms instead of you know they might have had some fat there and then they turn into the you know the flappy bingo wings
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: Yeah. so that's the loss of this fat yeah
1: yeah Yeah. this particular fat so yeah so you do yeah so estrogen is really important um, in the fact that it will um, it, it does protect us against developing man fat so the abdominal fat and <laughs> yes. help keep our subcutaneous fat which is actually whilst society tells us that we we shouldn't like fat arms and fat legs they they're not harmful to our health So again, there's that path of navigating what is healthy and what is just considered aesthetics.
0: Yeah. Yes. 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 And and it's it's the middle fat we don't want because that's the fat around the vital organs, isn't it?
1: Yes. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. So yes. Sadly, um, it is much less healthy to be the apple, so the you know where you've got all your middle fat and the skinny legs, than it is to be a pear. Yeah.
0: Definitely. And I see that with, you know, people I work with, people I know that they have this pear-shaped and then it's put them in a bad position. Many of them have gone on to develop some quite serious health issues. Um, mm. and have thought having skinny legs and a bigger middle was, was okay. But of course, we kind of know that it's not, um, uh, and the health issues are serious because they affect the major organs. It's putting pressure on their joints and bones in, in ways that I think we're not as conscious of as we should be.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah, I, get, I agree. I think that people, you know, always used to say to me, oh, you're so lucky you've got such long skinny legs. And I used to kind of, yeah. And now, then, of course, I turned into an apple and, you know, m- developed pre-diabetes and fatty liver and all of the things that, you know, was another, apart from growing out of my undies, was another reason to actually do something about my health.
0: Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the US, more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Yes, exactly. So you talk about the quality of food. So, What is the shift that we need to make? If it's not about calories and it's about the quality, mm. what what are some of the key things that... We need to be considering here.
1: Yeah, so I think if we, if we look at insulin resistance as a driver of fat storage, then what we're wanting to do is look at all the ways in which we can minimise that effect. Now, everybody, every single person becomes more insulin resistant as they age, and there's a reason for that. And one of the biggest reasons is actually due to loss of muscle mass or something called sarcopenia, just very makes me found found very fancy um but it's it is that and and that's why people you know you describe the little old man or the little old lady it's because their muscles have shrunk and if we think back to that idea that i was just saying that insulin wants to put glucose into the muscles well if your muscles are smaller there's nowhere to put it so it sticks it into the fat stores much more quickly so we know then we, that we are likely to become more insulin resistant as we get older, and we know that sadly for some people they have genetics that kind of put them behind the eight ball and to begin with. So we go, all right, well, what do we want to do to help our muscles and minimise our insulin It's really the summary of that. So if we think about food, I had no understanding of how powerful real food is. And how damaging processed food is. Again, this was back in my diet days. All I was interested in was that Weight Watchers chocolate mousse was half a point. So therefore, I could probably (laughs) eat 20 if I wanted to. It did nothing for me. But the power of real food is so healing for our bodies. So I go, all right, So the first thing is try and ditch as much processed food as possible. And that's, you know, it is hard in our society. But it's not as hard as people think. And I think a lot of people think it's hard because we've been marketed to believe that it's hard to eat real food, that we don't have time, that we're too busy. And the reason that we're marketed to that is that there are companies making a truckload of money out of that idea. And, you know, I talk a lot about even like Sanitarium, the unhealth food company, sells up (laughs) and go so up and go and
0: that's sugar
1: (laughs) it's sugar and seed oils that's all it is and they've managed to convince us that not only do we not have time to make our breakfast we don't even have time to eat it and so we go yeah that sounds like a great idea when really if we actually did an audit you can make a really good breakfast and eat it in probably seven minutes if you wanted to so I just think it is worth that seven minutes for the power of the real food. So therefore I go, right, well, if we're going to stick with, well, we, we ditch all the processed stuff, we go to real food, and basically then we want to make um, optimise our protein. So protein is king, or in my case I say queen. Protein is the absolute gold. We want to lower some carbohydrates, so then we look at, right, well, lots of veggies, low starch veggies. If your protein is lean, a little bit of fat is good. Like, again, I grew up in where fat was, you know, everything was low fat, no fat. And at the end of the day, there's only three macronutrients. There's only carbs, protein, and fat. Some people put fiber in, but again, either way. But three main macronutrients. So if, you, if you've if you cut out the fat, that's why we've, it's part of the reason we're in this situation. So we do need some fat. And what I would say to you, particularly at the start, if you're changing your diet and your woodshed is not yet open, you will actually need to (laughs) add a a reasonable amount of fat into your diet because that will be your fuel. But then this magical thing happens where your woodshed opens and you can reduce the fat that you eat and burn your own fat. Hooray! Yay!
0: And, of course, (laughs) then you get to be... A healthier weight than mm. if you're constantly feeding in the in the quick release carbs because you mentioned they're up and go it's the most disgusting thing ever this liquid uh. thing you drink and and, mm. and there's a big emphasis in the food industry and that in this shakes is in the same space uh. these smoothies are in the same space and of course that's all a quick release of of carbohydrates into the body so obviously if we take some of that away and eat things that take longer to process then
1: yeah the woodshed does open it does and you know what i also say to people if we want to think so calories you know we talk about them and how they're not as important so calories are just a unit of energy eating real food as you said it does it actually it actually does take some energy that your body will need to do so imagine, um, so you, you're eating some protein. So maybe, you know, you're eating some chicken or some eggs or some fish or some steak. There's a lot of um, processing that your body has to do to make that into small enough pieces for you to absorb. So you have to chew it, you have to make some enzymes, you have to swallow it, your stomach has to mush it all up, you cleave it from giant protein mm-hmm. into pep- you know, polypeptides and then dipeptides and then little amino acids and you just lie around doing that while your body is basically make you know burning calories for free or you can take all of that energy and give it to a factory to process it for you so it doesn't make sense that we would be outsourcing this really easy way of burning energy to something else for convenience it just doesn't make sense so i just i, I absolutely find shakes that that it's just marketing and it's just not helpful it doesn't make sense physiologic physiolo- physiologically for us to oh. get factories to to do that processing when we can lie around doing it ourselves
0: yeah and I, and you said the word lying around because an awful lot of women are also driven to work out incredibly hard as the journey, I mean, you talked about you doing the the Jane mm. Fonda and the
1: aerobics. Why doesn't that work? <laughs> well, if it worked, we would all be thin because we have all absolutely exercised our heads off. So, I think a couple of things happen. Um, one is that we are, as as women, we are very high achieving, list ticking. Carers. So we are, you know, we're the masterminds of the family often. We're the linchpin. We're ferrying everybody around. We've got a huge what I call cognitive load. Um, mm. it 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 doesn't our bodies are supposed to have, you know, and I know that you've talked about this on previous episodes, that fight and flight. So we're supposed to have periods of activity and we're supposed to have periods of rest. You can look at a simple ECG. Everyone knows what an ECG looks like. so you've got that little blip and then there's a rest and then there's a blip and then there's a rest. And if we don't have that rest phase in our cardiac cycle it, it's a disease there's pathology there. All of us need to have the activity balanced with the rest, but none of us do it and then we wonder why we're we're broke we're broken. Yeah
0: so we're really we're putting the body under a lot of stress, aren't we? By yeah, absolutely.
1: Exercising at, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so then and
0: what stress, the body does is it's stress does things to our digestive system, doesn't
1: it? Uh, totally. So stress, you know, one of our stress hormones, and there are a number, but, uh, you know, cortisol is, uh, most people have heard of cortisol these days, incredibly important part of our flight and fight response. As humans, we were designed to have a response to an acute, so an immediate stressor we would then deal with that stressor, whether it was to, you know, run like crazy or, or fight it, and then we would lie around resting. But what's happening in our modern life is that we don't have the necessarily the life threatening stressors daily. We have constant low grade stress, so there is no cycles, you know. And humans are cyclical, you know. We have diurnal rhythms. We have sleep. Our hormones go in cycles. You know, women's go go in monthly cycles. Our sleep goes in a 24-hour cycle. We are supposed to be cyclical, but we spend mm. all of our time on go, 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 and none of our time on rest and digest.
0: Yeah. So all of this is adding up. So you really you're seeing the picture build up, aren't you, Lucy, with food that isn't serving us. So we're building up fat stores. We're not resting, which is obviously impairing our digestive system and never getting the downtime to allow the body to do its thing, quite frankly. And no wonder we're uh, here.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if your woodshed is shut, exercise won't open it. So this is the other thing. So people go, Oh well, I've got to exercise, and I, you know, I need some fuel to exercise because they can't actually get their store. So they're having pre-shakes and post-shakes and all of those sorts of things because they can't get their fuel yet. So I often say, look, let's just—I I mean, I think exercise has some wonderful benefits for your mental health. Um, strength training is very good for your for your for your muscle resistance, but if you're wanting to lose some. Weight or open your woodshed, then often actually having a rest, like it's counterproductive, but it actually works. And I'll often say to people listen, let's not focus on the exercise just yet. Let's just sort out this insulin, get your shed open, get your fuel so that you can fuel your body so you can move it in a way that feels good and not in a way that is just about punishing yourself.
0: Yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely. I I love that approach because you can exercise harder when you've got that woodshed open, if that's what you want to do. Provided there is the rest, downtime mm. in between it. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. But
0: none of this, but none of this, Lucy, makes anything unless this your mindset is
1: um, part of the journey. Am I right? Absolutely. And, you know, when I first so when I first found low carb and for me it really was life-changing and I thought, oh, my God, you know, this is like an epiphany. So I, I opened up my clinic and I called it Epiphany Medical Weight Loss because I thought, yes, I found the holy grail. And over time I realised actually there were three things that were going on. First of all, some people didn't know what an epiphany was, so that was a bit of a dud name. Secondly, some people called it Epiphany, and I thought, oh, I don't really want that to be my name. <laughs> and thirdly, I realised that not everyone found it to be the epiphany that I did because for some people they weren't able to implement it. So they would come and they'd go, yes, yes, that sounds great, and then they'd go home and they'd do it for a day or two and then they'd be back eating the biscuits, even though they kind of desperately wanted to, to do it. Yeah. And so I realized, Ooh, okay, I haven't got all the pieces of the puzzle here. So I went back and did some more training in, in the psychology of food and the psychology of eating because if you don't, you need both. You need to understand your physiology, but you it's, it's of no use if you haven't sorted your mind out, if your mind tells you what I love to call the reasonable stories. Ah, yes, yeah. So um, the reasonable stories, and everyone has their own story, so your brain will tell you little stories, and we all know that. And, you know, for me, I'll, one of my favourite stories that my brain loves to tell me is just have one. it be a whole <laughs> packet of something. And it go, come on, you can have one. You be you know, and again, diet language was always you've been good, you can have one. So, you know, I'd be humming and harring and sort of going, yeah, yeah. And you know I'd have one, and then I'd go, "Well, that was good. We need another one." I go, mm-hmm. "Oh no, you said one." Now oh, and then it would, then I'll come up with all sorts of stories of why I needed two, and then I'd have the second one, and then it'd start be then it'd start, we'll just have three, and then that'll do. You're not having any more. And then I'd have the third, and then it would just, and I just suddenly realized that, you know what, this little story that my brain is telling me of just have one. It's actually a bit of bullshit. It doesn't actually <laughs> work for me. <laughs> After 54 years, I've recognized that that story is not true for me, that it is actually harder for me to say no to the second one than it is to the first one. But that this is only true for certain products. Not all products have this power over me. And I think that's really important. So I'll always talk to somebody about okay, what foods do you find easy to regulate? and what foods do you find more difficult because if it's easy to regulate fine you can have one no big deal you know yep. but have an orange not going to be i'm not going to be having a discussion with myself about the second orange i, I can have one glass of wine i'm not ha- i don't need to have a discussion with myself about the second but i know for lots of people wine is their, their thing oh yes yeah and yeah. for some people it's hot chips and for some people, it's chocolate. Everyone has their own little thing and you yes. need to know yourself well.
0: Yes, and that's something we often don't or know or we don't meet that part of ourselves because that can be a little confronting, can't it, Lucy? And we're like, mm, don't really want to know that about me, so I'll have that story in my head and I'll believe it.
1: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I think sometimes when people, you know, it, it, there's an interesting line that it, people take two, one of two ways, and one is that your brain tells you lies. And some people go, oh, my God, that's amazing. You're so right. And other people go, oh, don't, don't be ridiculous. It doesn't. And so but what it does do is tell you stories, and those stories are often a mishmash of your past experiences and what, you know, the stories you've grown up with about what food represents to you and the particularly the soothing nature of food. So, you know, phrases like comfort eating um, are, are huge and for a lot of people they were always soothed with their difficult emotions by their parents or their friends with food. And the thing that's tricky about it is it actually works. It does make you feel better in that moment related to yes. dopamine and all of those things, but it's not lasting and then you need more and more of it like any drug. Yeah. So I always say to people, look, emotional eating is not your fault. I certainly did truckloads of it. I didn't realise and um, it, it is not your fault It is, and it's not bad. You know, so many people feel terrible about themselves It's not bad. It's not the worst thing. You know, you haven't murdered an old lady. You haven't ripped somebody off. All you've done is soothed yourself with a tool that no longer serves you and you haven't been taught other tools and it's nothing to do with willpower.
0: Oh, no, no. And I think that's, that's often the message that you're not strong enough, good enough, whatever it is that runs in our heads we hear it from friends we hear it from even sometimes our clinicians you know and mm. telling us that we don't have willpower that somehow we failed because we eat chocolate or a biscuit or wine mm. and and you're yeah. right I mean in the end of the day I mean alcohol can have its own journey but a lot of the time um you know, we have the ability to change that, but we need to change it differently, don't we, and
1: come off the story. Yeah, change the stories because um the stories aren't serving you well either. And, the, you know, sometimes those stories are buried deep in, in. You don't necessarily know them straight away and they come, they bubble up to the surface or, you know, lots of people will describe it like they're peeling off the layers of the onion to really find out what is their story. And, yeah. You know our our society perpetuates this story for multiple reasons. Some of it is certainly driven by food industries, and I have you know zero respect for food companies. <laughs> I think they use wicked marketing tactics to exploit oh, yeah. that human vulnerability. Um, but it is, you know most people, if they think somebody is a bit sad, they will cheer them up with a box of chocolates, a plate of cookies, yep it's it's our normal human nature so therefore when we're sad what do we do to cheer ourselves up we will buy ourselves a block of chocolate or bake a batch of cookies or eat a bowl of ice cream and i think you know it was in all the movies it bridget jones you know i think she you know coined the whole eating your ice cream out of the tub thing it's everywhere so it's not our fault it is most definitely not our fault. And for some people, it's not even a, it's not a problem for them. You know, they don't perhaps do it very often and their metabolic health is not compromised at all. And for other people, it is really causing immense harm and learning some strategies to manage it rather than just trying to beat yourself up about it is really the, the, the key. You can't You can't hate yourself then.
0: No, you can't hate. And I think that is, of course, your uh, absolute description of the diet industry in many ways, that you are Mm. supposed to not hate, not love yourself, think yourself as a bad person who's weak, who's wrong and you give in to your emotions. I mean, we're emotions all the time. It's just how we process them. It's got nothing to do with being good, bad, or anything else because emotions aren't good and bad. It's only your response to them.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, there's a big conversation around the idea that we don't like dealing with uncomfortable emotions as a society and... I've got a lovely little story about my daughter when she was about 12 and we had this flock of chickens and they were those big fluffy silky chickens and her her hen was called Toffee, which I now think back and I go, oh, my God, all of our animals were named after food. But anyway, so Toffee um, was a lovely tame chicken who she'd just, you know, carry around with her. So when she went off to school camp, it was my job to fling out the scraps to the chooks. And I looked over the fence one day and I saw this chook looking a bit shabby and I went over and, of course, it was Toffee and I pick her up and she's actually emaciated under all this fluff. And I thought, oh, my God, I think she's probably been sick for a little while. So I brought her in and I gave her a bath and I drip fed her and I Googled, you know, how to fix sick chickens and all of this sort of stuff. And after a day or two, I thought, I think I'll take her to the vet. And the vet said, no, sorry, this chicken's going to chicken heaven. So I left the vet empty-handed and then had to go and pick Ruby up from school camp. And so I had a very excited but overtired child in the car listing all of our animals, how are they all? And, of course, we got to Toffee. How's wow. Toffee? And I had to go, oh, Toffee died. And her little face just crumpled and she just had those shoulder-heaving sobs. And I'm bawling, and I'm driving along, and I'm thinking, "Oh my God, what'll I do?" I thought. I said, oh, "Let's go and get a milkshake." So we zoomed into oh. the cafe, and you know, I would have bought her anything in the shop, anything. I probably bought her a slice. I've got no idea, because I couldn't bear looking at her grief, and I needed her to feel better so that I could feel better. And so, yeah. you know, we had the milkshake, and we went home, and we buried Toffee, and that was about it. I didn't. We didn't talk about grief at all I didn't have the skills then to to know about it I just sort of wanted to fix her in the quickest way that I could yeah yeah. and you know I look back and I think well I did what I was taught I did what everybody was probably what everyone does I don't you know I'm not beating myself up about it but I look back and I think oh I probably missed an opportunity there to talk about grief that it's painful that of course you're grieving this is your beautiful pet so I didn't actually even really allow her acknowledge her feeling or to validate her pain? I just wanted it fixed. And I think yeah. that's a lot of what we do these days. Yes. Yes. So how do
0: we um start to work or what are some of the things that we
1: can do to start to change this? Okay. So obviously with the physiology, we've covered that, eating, you know, your real food and if you're insulin resistant, certainly lowering your carbs and if you've, you know, got metabolic disease already, type 2 diabetes, then I'd keep them pretty low and you're gonna prioritize your protein. So that's and eat plenty of lovely vegetables. So we've got that yes. sorted. So then we're looking at the emotional side of things. So I think if we can, th- you know, again. I actually love it when I'm working with somebody and if they, they come in and they, they've made a mistake, oh, my God, Dr. Lucy, you're going to think I'm so hopeless. And I go, no, 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 this is good because what I really think we need to do is reflect and work out what was going on for us because so often we don't actually want to know about it. We just go, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot. I need to do better. And that's that's our reflection.
0: Mm.
1: Whereas if we can actually, so the question I always say to myself, and I talk to myself a fair bit, Lucy, What is going on for you at the moment? What is happening here that is making you want to eat this food? What need do you need that is not being fulfilled? Mm -hmm. Because the food is always in a response to a feeling. We eat food based on feelings. We're either eating it to make uncomfortable feelings go away or we're eating it because we think it will bring us a different feeling. Again, marketing knows this. Coke doesn't sell you buy my sweet fizzy brown water. They're open happiness is their slogan. Yes. And Cadbury's aren't selling buy my brown creamy chocolate. They're paving the road to Joyville apparently. So (laughs) yes, marketing is all about feelings and eating food is—it's always in a response to a feeling, so that's okay. So you go, okay, right? Well, what what feelings was I having, and and why was I having these? And you know, was this feeling heightened because I was perhaps tired, or was this feeling heightened because this is the third person that has cut me off on my way to work today, and I'm, now I'm late and I'm really cross. Yeah. So reflecting back is really important, and then doing it with compassion, again, talking to yourself kindly like you would talk to your friend, your dog, your child, if they're not annoying you, (laughs) and then coming up with a plan for next time because it will happen again. None of these are isolated incidences. They occur again and again and again, and our brain is a pattern machine. It loves patterns. So as soon as you work out a plan and you do this pattern a few times, that becomes your new pattern. Yeah.
0: Yes, and you're getting underneath the why, and then finding is there a different way that I can meet that need, than it always having to be um, reaching for chocolate, and I suppose also putting my kind of more therapy hat on, could I fix the why? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> at the, at the absolutely. Source, you
0: know, because because that is is really sorting it out down here so that we don't, well, we'll always have emotions, but we might not have a repeat sort of habit that means I need something to meet that emotion rather than I'm just the emotions here. Thank you. And and I know why it's happening and I can maybe change the source of that.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, I love the idea um, and you've probably heard this analogy of this idea that your emotions are a bit like a beach ball. And if you're standing in in a swimming pool, and you're trying to shove those emotions down with food or alcohol or just complete denial and basically gaslighting yourself, you're holding it down. It's quite hard and you get tired. And if you're not concentrating, they just bubble up again and they just splurt out. Whereas if you just hold them there lightly, they do pass. You know, nothing is ever permanent. Positive or or the comfortable emotions of joy and happiness. We don't Whenever we just, they just go. They just come and they go. Whereas the uncomfortable ones, we're trying to shove them away quicker because we we can't bear the idea of them. But if they do just go, they do. They do. They
0: do. And I think I say that to the women that I work with. You know, your emotions are kind of fluid and they're Mm. always, they have days when they, you know, and if you were to write down through the day what you felt, You'd notice that you might feel very grumpy in the morning, but you might actually feel have periods of the day when you really feel quite calm or you feel joyful. And that's changing minute by minute, hour on hour. And if we don't, as you said, hold them lightly, I love that vision of just holding that ball, not trying because it's going to keep wanting to come up. Mm. So you know and you have to push harder to keep yeah. it down, I think, over time. And that's, that's yep. when we do find that it's not one square of chocolate, it's a block of chocolate. It's not one Tim Tam, it's ten. Uh, and then yeah. we're in a whole different journey because then we're beating ourselves up so we have new emotions and it just
1: goes on and on until we decide oh, to
0: break it.
1: Absolutely, that awful cycle of guilt and shame Um you know, guilt, again, guilt has no role in anybody's weight loss journey. It is such an unhelpful emotion. Um, So again, yes, you may have, you may feel some guilt, but if you let it go, talk to yourself kindly, work out a plan with yourself about what we do next time when this very similar situation will undoubtedly come up again, then it's so liberating, so liberating.
0: I love that approach because it's got that sort of two-pronged approach as we talked about, the real food, unlocking that woodshed, and then really meeting where you are with compassion and and reflection and getting to know yourself. Mm. That really moves people forward so much. And I would say that women who are in menopause, I mean, we've already got enough guilt and shame as it is what we're carrying with (laughs) us for it. Everything, hell's hell. Everything, yes. Everything. Then breaking some of those cycles. I mean, Lucy, when people break that guilt and shame around eating, it must be unlocking other aspects of their life too.
1: Oh, I think it's so freeing. Um, I think accepting, you know, we talk a lot about Mary's got a beautiful saying, your body is not an ornament, it's your vehicle to drive you around, to take you everywhere you can look after it like you would look after a a car or, you know, something that's going to carry you around. Look after it and it will take you places. But it is not there to be judged, critiqued, you know, like you're in a dog show. It's just, that's just got to stop. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love this. Lucy, I've loved this conversation because it's, it's so, so valuable, so beautiful, so practical and yet so deeply emotional. How can people find out more about the work you do and connect with you?
1: Oh, thank you, Clarissa. That's really generous of you. So um, so I have a business, Epiphany has gone and it has been replaced with a new name <laughs> called Real Life Medicine, which actually speaks way more to me um, and so we have uh, our website is rLmedicine.com um, and I have a free ebook on the woodshed if people are wanting to have a, a look at that so I can send you the link for those. and I guess you know we're on all the the usual socials Instagram, Facebook, um, those sorts of things under real life medicine or and and of course they can just Google Dr. Lucy Burns I seem to pop up here and there on various platforms. Um, but I guess, you know, I, I I feel like in some ways I have had an epiphany, but not about the food. It's about the work. And Mary and I often talk about how we're just the luckiest doctors in the world now. We get to work with so many really beautiful people with such deep connection and see incredible, not, not, not the bullshit transformation, you know, of the pre and post photo. Like that's, you know, they're nice, but it's not about that. It's really about this idea of this, personal development and growth that goes on and seeing women come out of their shells and really flourish. I love it. I love it. Oh.
0: Well, I love i love that because that's, that's what I think any of us who are working with women's health really want women to do. Uh, and that's just such an empowering thing, especially in midlife when we're stepping into this new chapter of our life, that we should be able to have these experiences we put oh, all the details in the show notes. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Thank and you I would love so we, um,
1: oh, and I'm sorry, I was just going to say because I almost forgot. We do run a 12-week mind-body program, basically on yeah. on this sort of stuff that we've just talked about, but obviously with a lot more depth. And, again, they can find out all the details about that on our website.
0: That's fantastic. As I said, all of that will be in the show notes, and I encourage you, my listeners, to get on Check it out. Follow Dr. Lucy and Real Life Medicine on social and download the ebook. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much.